Okay, guys, uh, welcome again to the Control Yourself podcast. Uh, I'm here with uh, my colleague and friend, Dr. Mike Chivers, uh, and we decided to put the, uh, the uh, video camera up to try to catch a little bit of uh, what's becoming uh, the next course that we're working on. We haven't done a, uh, any podcasts in a few months now, actually, eh, Mark? Like, it's, been a, it's been a minute since we've done podcasts. Uh, so that you know, we're in course development currently, um, and we're really developing this, um, this complete spinal management course. Um, so we're running a, another summit coming up. For those who are interested, uh, the summit's either, when is the summit, we said? 2024. Yeah, September. June or September, September, September or something like that. Um, so we're looking at having a, a summit. The summit will have the, the, the first iteration of our uh, of our spine course with a functional range spine practitioner certification. Um, so we just thought we would we would have a little discussion on the, the types of things that we were thinking, uh, the reasoning behind why a, a spine specific course uh, would be valuable uh, to FRS practitioners uh, and the like. So uh, I guess we'll just get into it. We'll probably talk a little bit about the, the kind of things that we've been researching, what we've been finding uh, through our research right now. Of course, we start all of our uh, courses with uh, extensive literature review to try to get the landscape um, so that we can provide the most up-to-date information. Now, having said that, we were just having a conversation which might be interesting to start with, which is what is the new landscape of literature regarding spinal care? Now, I'll remind people that Dr. Chivas and I were in school. I mean, we were, we, we've been out of school for almost 20 years now, it seems, right? Actually, it doesn't seem that way. That's it is. That's, <laughs> legit fucking, that's legit fucking math. I can't say it seems that way because it, it, it calculated. So we've been out for 20 years. But Although I don't feel that old. You, you never do, right? The only thing that, so the thing that we were talking about, and, and people in the audience, um, it'd be interesting to know what everyone thinks. I, I've had this conversation now. Uh, with with Mike as well as uh, Dr. Sean Thistle, who's going to be on an upcoming episode of the podcast um, as well, uh, who's a really prominent research guy. And if if you were in school with us, and, and maybe if people were haven't been in school for thirty years or forty years, I'm assuming you might be thinking the same thing with regard to spinal care and spinal pain and spinal management. You you always have this epidemiological introduction. And the epidemiological introduction discusses how many millions of dollars are wasted a year on, you know, um, workman's compensation, people being off work, hours lost, productivity lost, et cetera, et cetera. So you're, you're given these monstrous numbers of, you know, how much money is lost, how many people tend to have spinal problems, you know, 80% of the people have a low back, and then of that people within four weeks, whatever it is, 80% will be okay. So we, we were given these numbers. Now, it seems to me, having now dug my heels into this, this uh, literature review, that not much seems to have changed. In other words, you're a student hearing these words, and you think to yourself, okay, this is the, gener- this is the generation where we're going to change this mm-hmm. with all of the new things that we're going to be taught. Um, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. No. Right? Yeah. And I, I'm not, like, I, I don't remember the most recent specific numbers, but, you know, anecdotally, I was having this conversation with uh, a patient yesterday, and she, and she asked, she's like, well, you know, in your practice, 
not being like a traditional chiropractor, what mm -hmm. is the number one thing? What is the number one injury that you would see? It's still always going to be low back pain. 100%. Always low back pain. Yeah. No matter how much you want to get away from treating that, you're still going to have, if you look percentage-wise, like you said, the highest proportion is going to be... It's, it's always going to be low back pain. So I think that that just kind of allows us to establish where the you know major blind spot is in terms of... of you know, injury management, injury training, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. It's always going to be in the lower back. While you were talking there, I don't, I don't have time to pull it up, but I remember I added a little bit of discussion about the spine in one of the FRA lectures. It's probably on, in, in the lectures online. And it came from the WHO, which is, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the World Health Organization. So mm -hmm. the one that's supposed to be on top of how we manage injuries and what's the latest and greatest in you know disease management and and health for the world, and um, specifically for their low back management um, and and where the research should be going and what's next and what are the advancements in in you know management of spine pain. Mm -hmm. It's not actually in the management of spine pain. Mm. It's how can we make better disc replacements for surgical stuff. How mm -hmm. can we, like, how can we add all these extra things to the management of, of low back surgeries and um, things of that and, and uh, you know, facet joint surgeries. None of it is like, how do we actually take care of and manage the, the spine mm -hmm. so that, you know, we don't get to that point. But it's interesting that the WHO is, is <clears throat> you know, promoting that and research dollars should be going to these things when like, you know, that's like the far end of, of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, we should be focusing more so on like, how do we manage the biological stuff of the spine? Now, arguably, I'm going to bring this up too as being a downfall of literature as we see it, um, is that that's the one thing the literature never seems to give you, right? Like you... You have a bunch of literature on spinal manipulation versus this versus that, or um, exercise therapy versus soft tissue therapy versus whatever. Now, I feel like the magic is in these, what they're putting in quotations, exercise therapy, because it's as if exercise therapy denotes that if you take 100 people and you divide them into like quarters, so 25% are going to get exercise therapy and 25 are going to get manipulation, 25 are going to get this. But in that, those 25 people, when you say exercise therapy, that's not a thing, right? right. Exercise is not a thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a conceptual framework in which things can be done. Just like when they say, you know, movement is great for the, the body or, you know, exercise is, is, is a great way to prevent injury. Well, actually, exercise is a great way to cause injury just as much <laughs> as it's a great way to prevent injury. Correct. So what we should be saying is there's a specific amount of exercise applied to a specific area for a specific reason that shows that it's lacking something that it needs, ergo getting the capacity that it's lacking is good for the spine or good for the person. But I don't know that we can generically say, you know, movement is medicine. Right? That's another thing that people say. Like, get well, up and start go, moving. You can't go wrong getting strong? You can't go wrong getting strong is another one. These are all great throwaway words that you can use and you can package them into a minute yes, and 30 for sure. seconds for Instagram. But for really, 
like, we've talked about this forever. You, if your shoulder sucks, you can, this shoulder's messed up, you can move the left shoulder around all you want, and technically you're moving, but you're not doing anything for that right shoulder. Correct. So how do you feel in terms of the literature and where we were 20 years ago, and maybe this doesn't only have to do with the spine, maybe this is everything, but where we were 20 years ago versus today, I... I argue that I don't see anything in that literature that's going to change, especially in manual therapy, maybe in disc replacements and you know chemical treatments Stuff for this. Stuff that's not in our scope anyway. But I, I can't see, I don't, I don't see any difference between where we were and where we are in terms of what therapeutic applications, in terms of how do you apply exercise and how do you assess for the need for exercise. I don't know that there's a lot of movement in that regard. Unless I've missed a whole swarm of experts. No, I, w- I would agree 100%. <clears throat> Specifically for the spine, that is, that is true. And we can get to that in a second. But I think that holds true for, for everything, right? Like a, a lot of, of things that we talk about in the system <clears throat> are things that have been out. They just haven't been used appropriately or, or we tend to move away from them. Mm-hmm. With respect to the spine, you know, when we were in... in Cairo school, the big debate was, well, what is the best way to rehabilitate the spine? Is it, mm-hmm. is it uh, the Australian way or is it, is it the McGill way? Mm-hmm. Well, it's actually neither of them mm-hmm. because they're both important. Like yep. Everything is important. So I think specifically with the spine, the reason why we haven't really moved ahead is because we are trying to find the next best thing rather than taking what we already know and putting it together in a framework that actually works. Brilliant approach, a systematic approach, which again, it's funny, we just had a, a person that came through the, uh, the FRC certification, I think recently just put a post on one of our, our message boards um, asking for the literature, which um, I think I saw this you saw this post, the literature which, which uh, backs up or justifies, or the literature on the FRC methodology, um, which is, it, it's, it's a fair question, but it's, it's not a fair question in, in a different regard. It's not a fair question in that at no point did we say that we're going to invent a new line of literature called FRC. What we did say was, there's a pool of literature that you have at your disposal to use in order to construct a systematic approach to dealing with the person in front of you. Mm -hmm. And what we do is we take this large pool of literature, and when we say large, of course, especially for this, just like when we're going to do in this course, it's not just, you know, you're reading the spine journal and and, and, uh, manual therapy journals only. But if you take a holistic approach looking into, um, you know, plastic surgeons and how they deal with pain or, or, or different lines of literature. There's, there's this whole umbrella, this bird's eye view of the literature. And where I think the magic is, getting back to what I said before, in that it's not like the literature is giving us the answers we're actually looking for. Where the magic is, is people taking in the literature, digesting it, and then building a framework with which to guide how to treat people that is little, which is better than just saying exercise is good. Sure. Right. You can't have a, you can't claim to be a good therapist, and whenever when someone comes in, you go, you know, uh, you know, there's pain research that says we can't touch pain, and you know, we can't be specific here. We can't do this. We can't do that. So just start training, and you'll be fine. 
Because the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of the reason why the person's in front of you to begin with is because they started taking these generic... They started doing that, and now there's a problem. And now there's a problem, right? Right. And then it's weird, because then if you listen to the you know, very prominent podcasters now, it's like, oh, I got injured. Um, these are not medical practitioners. These are just people shooting the shit. You know, what did I do? Oh, maybe I didn't spend enough time in the cold plunge. Or maybe I didn't spend enough time in the sauna. Or... I didn't breathe at you know 7 a.m. before having my coffee so that my amygdala squirted out this juice at this particular time. It's just that's not why your back hurts. Like mm-hmm. I, I guarantee when you're sitting there doing your podcast for the two hours or whatever you're doing, likely your your shitty pot the way you're sitting is, is affecting you, you know, your previous injuries are affecting you. If we took your your spine and we look went joint by joint, there's capacities that are lacking in particular areas of the spine which might be present in other areas which are lacking something completely different all of which has nothing to do with how long you were in a cold plunge totally right it's just a it's they're just generic answers oh i heard this is a good approach i heard you know if you drive this unit into your psoas it's you know psoas is important to to rub around too and i think it's almost like the uh, specialists like us and other colleagues of ours are really taking globalist approaches. Yeah, just to, just to stay on that for a second, I saw that that question and I debated answering it, but it's not an answerable question because mm. to simply say what is the evidence to support something, like I'm sure some people are going to ask, you know, as we start to maybe give them. Um, you know, the, the superficial understanding of what we're trying to create here, uh, people are going to say, well, where's the evidence mm-hmm. for what you're saying? <clears throat> and so most people would say, well, the evidence means that there has to be something that supports what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, that's what we learned in chiral school. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to, you know, rub somebody or you want to poke somebody with a needle or put ultrasound on or whatever, you had to have a piece of paper or a few pieces of paper stapled together that said, yeah, this shows that I could do that. Mm -hmm. That's not really how it works. No, it's not. (laughs) That's not evidence. It's not. It's not. That's not not evidence. That is somebody who has decided a research group who has decided, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to spend some time to see like what this thing does, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't apply to the management of human beings. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and we've said that a lot, like, and that's why that question is totally fair, but at the same time, really unfair because you can't answer, like you want us to give you the 1500 articles that we've read that supports why we do what we do, Mm -hmm. you know, 1400 of them are not going to be RCTs. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Right. 1400 of them are going to be like, oh, well, we should dig into the, to the science and say, well, you know, if, if, if we take uh, an injury of something, uh, that's always going to be biological in nature because it, it can't be anything else. Mm-hmm. And then if I study biology, you know, layer by layer back through, I end up down at the beginning and, oh, this is what happens at the beginning and that's going to affect the next thing, which is going to affect the next thing, which is going to affect the next thing that you wouldn't get from just saying, well, you know, is there, is there an RCT for that? That's just not how it works in I, clinical application. I think a great example of that and, and, I, th- I remember struggling this through this when I was in Cairo school too, is this idea that there's some evidence for the manipulation of spines at the lumbar spine area, right? There's, there's other stuff at the cervical spine area. 
But what happens when someone comes in with that rib problem, right? In which case, there's almost no... There's no research. There's no research on that. Right. So to answer the question indirectly for that person is that you have to fall back on first principles when there is a lack of randomized controlled trials to justify what you're doing. And, and I argue that if you're dealing with a, a, a human system that no amount of randomized controlled trials will account for the variability of that system versus just the, ne- the, versus the next system. So RCTs don't work in the management of, of uh, intervention, non-medical intervention into a human system. I think that they give you, they, they, they highlight, you know, this is an area to look into. But to get back to what we were saying before, it's like, there's a lot of evidence to describe why we train at length or to length, why we use eccentric loading, when we use eccentric loading, when we don't use eccentric mm-hmm. loading. So the answer to that question would be like, okay, well, specifically, the question you asked isn't answerable. But if you ask me a more answerable question, a more answerable question would be, um, in your you know, FRC or FR or in your system, you know, you apply this particular input at this time. Why do you do that? Yeah, where's the evidence for that? That's, 100%. That's a totally That's answerable, answerable question. question. If you say, you know, cars, control articular rotation, what's so important about cars? Why is cars important? I can give you a plethora of information as to why the only thing to maintain health and human articulation is to move that articulation through space over time. Mm-hmm. And then I can show you a person whose shoulder doesn't move. And then I can make the argument where... And then you can see the difference. You, there's a difference. You can't move where you can't move, like they always say. So if you can't move that shoulder, then that shoulder is not getting the benefit of the movement that you're telling me is good for the joint. So that's a, that's a, a, a first principles problem. That sure. is not the problem for RCT. That's the problem for you know, breaking down what the tissue is made of and how does it respond at not only a global level but at a cellular level. Like what happens at the... Ce- same argument which we get into with people who are saying, you know, soft tissue is useless. There's no reason for soft tissue. Look at this article on fascia. It shows that in order to rip through the fascia, you need this many newtons of force. You can't put that many newtons of force. And then you go, well, hold on. I never said you were ripping through fascia. I never said that you were causing, you know, um, global changes to tissue quality just by rubbing and We never it. said that there had to be a certain number of newtons of force. We never said that. <laughs> we, we said that over time, you have the ability to input forces, and we know that cellular respo- cells respond to force. Force is the language of cells. So if we can make our input more specific, ergo first principles would say that your result would be more specific on whatever you're inputting the input into. For, for sure. Very well said. Oh, very good, because I can't say that that, way, that well again. Now, if you bring this back, and we bring it back to the topic of the day, which is the spine, some people might say, well, why do you need a spine-specific course? And the answer, as we've pointed out, is that the spine plays by different anatomical rules than the rest of the body, mm-hmm. and our access to the assessment of the spine is limited by our ability to perceive motion in the spine, which is severely hindered. What do I mean by that? When you give me a shoulder, 
I can move the shoulder around very specifically and tell you exactly what quadrants of shoulder motion are hindered. Mm -hmm. And then I can say, well, to move further into that quadrant, do this, this, and this. With the spine, um, you're dealing with a a segmented, um, a segmented um, cylinder, cylinder, which acts as one, but but not really. It actually acts as a, a series of segments, right? So we call it the spine. Oftentimes, you know, what do you do for low back pain? As if there's only one type of low back pain. Right. Um, but that is not the case. I, the way we see it, you stop me if I'm wrong, is that the ability to see that shoulder for what it is and what it can do, there has to be a way to assess the spine in order to garner the same findings or our inputs are going to be random at best. Yeah, and, or, and the same output, right? So if, if you can say this is specifically what is happening at the shoulder and you can do something, then you, you should get something out of that. Mm-hmm. But you can't, currently we can't say that about the spine because we have all these ill-defined things about what low back pain is and, and you know, where it's coming from and what that means. So as to your point, you can't just say, well, I'm gonna do this thing for low back pain and expect the same outcome every single time. But that is how the research is done. Correct. So if you, spinal manipulation, for example, if you're studying spinal manipulation, 100 people, right? 50 are in the non-manipulation group and 50 are in the manipulation group. But of that 50 that you have in the manipulation group, you're making the assumption that that 50 will respond to the manipulation in a somewhat coherent, um, not coherent, but a, a predictable way. Because you're trying, that's what you're doing. You're trying to purse out the predictability factor. If you have 50 people with back pain and, and you give them manipulation, how many of them get better? But that is also to say that those 50 people have to be assumed to have the exact same problem I was just going to say this. The, the, the beginning of that is that those 100 people with low back pain are all different. That's the problem. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and, 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 and with a shoulder, because we have this understood way of pursing out quadrants of motion and, and what tissue does this and this test is for this tissue, this test is for that tissue, we give the so- shoulder the respect of being a complex system. But in the spine, we remove the respect for being a complex system, and we just take it as a spine. So true. Right? So true. And then they might, you might, this might, and this might go back to the days of the understanding of the of the homunculus of the body, which is that smaller representation of the body found in the cortex, which which has you know real estate given to different areas of the body. And you can make the argument that in a modern human, the spine is just seen as one thing, right? Sure. Um, yep. Whereas, you know, the fingers are huge, but the spine is just the spine. But is that the case of that's how it's biologically predetermined? Or is that the case of we just don't spend enough time specifying movements of the spine? So I, I take the foot, for example. If you give me the foot of a hunter-gatherer and you give me the foot of a modern-day human and you ask how much real estate in the brain is is given to to the... I would argue that in the hunter-gatherer, there's going to be more real estate given to that foot because that foot is used as multiple things, mm-hmm. as a tool that does multiple things, whereas now you stuff it into a shoe and then you kind of patternize what it does. So, mm-hmm. of course, you're going, to, you're going to decrease the amount of neural 
uh, specificity that goes towards that foot. Definitely, definitely. Right? The, you, I mean, you could make the argument that the homunculus doesn't exist. Sure, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Maybe that homunculus, I would make that argument strongly, but maybe that idea, because I remember learning that, again, 20 years ago. Sure. And, and maybe yeah. that whole idea that, oh, yeah, it's just the spine. So then you ask, well, what does the spine like? It likes to be manipulated, you know, 40% of the time. Oh, maybe we should try manipulation. Oh, that didn't work. Maybe we should try acupuncture. Oh, that didn't work. Maybe we should try this or that. I don't see that in the shoulder. No, definitely not. Right? And definitely not. Yeah, I mean, this brings up a, a, a couple things that I think are important uh, as well and might segue into this is that at the beginning of this, we talked about how it's still the number one thing that we see. Yeah. So that's a problem. That's problem number one. <clears throat> problem number two is kind of what you were just saying there is, is we just throw darts and hope that something sticks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and therefore, the management of the spine is not specific enough. So if you use those two things as their own feedback loop, obviously there's a problem. Mm -hmm. There's a problem in because low back pain isn't going away. I mean, that's obvious from the numbers. So if, if we just keep doing the same thing, we just create this whole positive feedback loop that just keeps driving the same behaviors, which is not necessarily what we want. Mm -hmm. What we want to do is we want to try to look at the loop. And unfortunately, if there's only two things in the loop and low back pain is not going away, the thing that has to change is the management of it mm -hmm. to help create a new behavior of how we look at the spine and how we manage the human spine and so on and so forth. The other thing that I think you have to add to this is that kind of that kind of comes from what you were saying is is that there's not general exercises for the spine that are just going to make the spine go away, uh, spine uh, discomfort go away. But in addition, you ever notice that in, in in the experts as well, they always just fall to the to the natural history, which we never do anywhere else. That's right. We yeah, never we, do that anywhere. We, yeah. we never come in, never, someone doesn't come in with shoulder pain and knee pain. We go, ah, we don't have to do much because it's going to go away in four to six weeks. Yeah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But yeah. we do that in the spine. Yes. The problem is, is that they come back the next year and we do the same thing. Yes. Yes. You know, what you know what I'm saying? And we brought this point up earlier for the, for a foot problem. Okay. So if you have a so, knee. So don't do anything for the spine because it'll just go away. Yeah. Yeah. Because the, the problem is, is the that. The spine is, it's, it's, it's sensitive. And, and thus but it'll, spine. But it'll somehow figure it out. Figure it out. But the shoulder yeah. won't, and the, think, and the knee won't. I think the <laughs> spine. Maybe it's in the nomenclature of how we think of things. The spine is not a real thing. Right. The shoulder is a real thing. The sternoclavicular joint is a real thing. But the spine is like saying the upper extremity. Totally. It's like saying, what do I? That's a very good point. I actually. have an upper extremity injury. What's the best thing to do for upper extremities? And, yeah, then, and then you go, okay, well, let's put 50 people in a fucking ultrasound mm -hmm. and see if it works. And then it doesn't work. And then you would look at that and you would go, well, that's a terrible study. Yeah. Because it, it's not pursing out the specificity of what the problem is. Right. So, so true. Same with the knee. If you give me a knee, I'm going to want to know the biology that has pathology. I'm going to want to know the, the capacities that might have led to the inability for that biology to resist injury. Yeah. And then I'm going to specifically put in inputs so that I can change the capacity of the biology such that the next time, blah, blah, different, but if you come to me with plantar fasciitis, I might just stick you in, a, in an orthotic and say, you know, good luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and that seems to be the, 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 the management of the spine as well. 
Yeah, that's so true. I never, yeah. I, I never thought about that. We did, but it was just, the, but that's right. That, like if you look at professional sports, they always say Joe has an upper extremity injury because they don't want to tell you specifically what's wrong. Sure, we're doing that in spine management. Hundred percent. Yeah. The only difference is we're not just telling our opponents so that we don't. We're we're telling a, a phys, uh, you know, the, the next physical therapist I'm referring this guy to. By the way, this guy has a spine problem. Get at it. <laughs> yeah. So that that cannot be. That can't be the case. But again, the, the way that you frame something, it, it's going to, it, over 20, 30 years, it's going to shape the way that you frame your management of that something. We talked about the spine. We talked about that homunculus idea. How about we talk about the damage being done by people who are approaching it generically? Let's talk about neutral spine, right? What is neutral spine? Neutral spine in the spine, let's say that we take neutral spine and we start to explain it in the shoulder. If I were to say keep your shoulder in a neutral position all the time, you know, center it wherever you want it and then just kind of leave it there. And then as you move, just kind of that whole shoulder comes with it. Okay, so yeah, you might prevent more acute pain in that shoulder, but you're trading the acute pain for chronic problems because you're not moving your shoulder. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel that about the spine specifically, that if you get people to walk around, you know, if you get people to walk around in a, in a neutral position all the time and you bend up this way, you play hockey that way, you sit down very carefully so that you don't come out of neutral spine, you might prevent another acute incidence of spinal pain, but you are going to trade it up for the fact that just you're Just creating a fragile system. You're, you're just creating a fragile system. So... And then that system needs to be braced and that system needs to be cared for. And then it becomes, in order to maintain this neutral, nothing's going to hurt me again, just get strong, bro. Like, you can't go wrong with getting strong. So Mm -hmm. just start getting a strong core. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going off, I might be going off topic, but if you disagree with me, if you'd like, but when I get a spine that has a problem, the number one problem I see is that the biology and the neurology are no longer in good communication with each other. Sure. Agreed. S- such that if I were to tell you that your, your brain doesn't really have uh, governance over its rotator cuff at all, like, you know what I mean? Like it, it, it has access to the supraspinatus, but it doesn't have a hundred percent access because you had that tear and now a significant portion of what used to be contractile tissue is now, now not contractile tissue you would say that that's going to throw a wrench in what I'm doing because now I have to reverse some kind of biological process in order to make it usable. But again, not in the spine. So you get someone, we know the history of multifidus. We've talked about this before. You have someone with some low back pain problem. There is going to be changes in the way the body calls upon the multifidus, how it's used. We know these changes. Mm But All defined you, in the literature. Well defined in the literature, which we're going to define the shit out of in this course. But if you look at management, it's, you know, crack, don't crack, exercise, make things stronger. How can you make something stronger when the nervous system forgot that it's actually there? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can. So a couple points that, uh, about that whole neutral thing. Going back to, the, to what, you, what you said in the, with respect to neutral of the shoulder that hasn't been defined. So, and realistically, we haven't defined it in the lower back. A neutral position for anything really is like, where do you, because you're like, well, put it where you feel like it's centered. Yes. So a neutral position is just uh, 
a feeling. So I think, like, I don't, I don't believe that a neutral position exists anywhere. Uh, there's too many external variables over time that will influence a neutral position. But if you ask somebody to put themselves, particularly with the spine, uh, and we talk a little bit about this in FRA, before we get into the spine assessment, just asking them their, where they feel comfortable. Like, mm-hmm. where do you feel comfortable holding your spine? Mm-hmm. If you were going to do X, Y, or Z movements, if I was going to put you in a cat camel position, mm-hmm. show me in that position where you feel comfortable in your spine. Mm-hmm. Not a predetermined where I think you should be in your spine, mm-hmm. but tell me where you feel comfortable in your spine. And, and that can give you a lot of information, just like a shoulder or, or something else. Like, where do you feel comfortable? If you were going to push or pull, where do you like to hold your shoulders? Do you like to hold them like this? Well, that can, that's pretty good. They can give you some good information. Mm-hmm. Just like in the spine, it can give you some good information about you know, where they like to be and can give you some information of uh, where they're not going to move well into. But it also, so it, it's really allowing you to establish this movement bias. And for the most part, people like to be in positions, they feel comfortable in positions that are not actually that good for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, and so uh, just getting onto that, that neutral concept, I don't, like, that is a predefined thing that we are trying to, to overlay on people that isn't actually definable. But what can be definable and can give you some information with respect to the spine is where do you like to, where do you like to hang out spinally? Like, is that a little bit more with an increased lordosis, particularly in the lumbar spine? Is that with a little bit more pelvic tucking and a little bit more flexion in the lumbar spine? Do you like to be really flexed in your thoracic spine? I think these are all valid things that informationally can provide some clues as to, you know, what you might see as outputs from that spine. Mm -hmm. But neutral does not, 100% does not exist. I think I just, another word that I, I, I don't like and I, let's, let's make a point to what you said. So what you're saying is, that we often say, is that this idea of neutral is not a clinical outcome measure. That It, it never was defined as a clinical outcome measure. It was defined as this area where you know, the, the body can maintain its segmental composure with the least amount of energy expenditure. Right. Yeah. And on that note, it was defined by EMG. Mm. Because that's, they, that's what I was going to It was to. defined by EMG. It was the position where there was less, the least amount of EMG readout. Now think about how dumb that is. Yeah. Well, actually, for, for, the, for the study, it's, use, it's useful. But the dumbness is when you take that and then you pretend that that somehow parlays, translates, translates into... How, what I should tell this person to do, which brings me to another the other point that I was going to bring Superficial up. Superficial EMG, by the way. Superficial EMG, not deepest stuff EMG. Which makes a big difference, too. 100%. Which trying, we can talk about. Who knows what's going on. Underneath. Underneath. Yeah. Right. Okay. But that brings me to this other word that I, I hate more than neutral, which is the word posture. And, and that's something that gets tied into this, because as soon as you tell me that, you, you know... Well, you were saying, what position do you like to be in? And a lot of those positions are not posturally good as defined by, you know... Whoever defined Whoever it. defined posture. But that's something to mention where I think that posture is... We think that posture is a dynamic word. 
And the best, we've often said, the best posture is the posture that you frequently move out of right. in order to provide breaks to your tissue that is accepting the load. Um, so as soon as you, if you're going to argue that there is a particular way to sit and there is a particular way to be, um, I think that right off the bat you're, you're missing a, a very important point, which is that a lot of the things that you see people do are compensations for problems, but we have to remember that compensations are not necessarily a negative word. Compensations save you. It's your body's attempt to redistribute sure. load such to give damaged pathology a break. So I, don't, I also don't think that our job is to look at someone's um, general way that they stand or the way that they sit and to tell them, no, no, do it this way. Mm -hmm. Just like I don't like doing that with runners. Like if you, if you give me a runner and you say, well, my running coach said I should be striking with this and doing this and doing that, I would go to the running coach and say, you're contradicting however old that person is, 35, year, 35 years of the evolutionary biological process whereby that person might have altered their running gait based on uh, some genetic factors that you have no idea about. And that could have been just the way their biology is shaped. It's like you watch people squat and you go, well, you should squat this way or that way. Well, how long are their femurs? How long are their tibias? Mm -hmm, how, much mm -hmm. like, how much torsion is in that person's femur versus that person's femur? There's way more variables to that we cannot... Um, that we cannot amalgamate into our thought process that have to be respected. And that's where I, I, I go off on posture. Sure. Because I, I, just because it looks good on a, on a picture, you know, anatomical <laughs> position is only anatomical position because it, in, if you're doing it in a book, it shows you all of the anatomy. It shows all the stuff. <laughs> it doesn't mean that if you take me this way and put me this way that you're somehow healthier in yeah. anatomical position. That, that, yeah, can't for sure. be, that can't be true. For sure. For sure. So unless you want to go off of that. So I think what we're saying is in order to take the spine and have any chance of getting through the, you know, the, the noise of what the literature tells, we, we have to be able to look at the spine in the same way or something similar to the way we look at a shoulder. Very much so. In other words, every single segment is within its, its, its own right, is its own joint, and it should almost be... Every segment is like a shoulder. Every segment is a shoulder. Yes. Now, we're not going to, you know, get caught by the people that, that say, well, you know, there's literature, and, you know, you might, you, you can only palpate this amount of motion, and you, you can't be specific where, where manipulations go. There's people that will say that, you know, you can't be... All that aside, that tells me that it's difficult to isolate segments in the spine. Totally. But it does not tell us that you should not attempt to isolate segments in the spine. Definitely. That seems crazy. And here's an example. If I give you the clinical scenario of someone, you'll probably tell me what you feel is going on in that segment. Like if I tell you that the person in between, they've had, they had an episode of low back pain where they were you know, reaching over and they felt something go out. And then, you know, they have a history of that goes away and it comes back and it goes away and it comes back. And when you go to L4, L5, when you go P to A on a spinous process, you get a jump sign. When you um, perpendicularly stress the supraspinous ligament, you get tenderness and soreness. 
what do you think about what I'm describing? Like, what does that, as a, as a you know, a, a very sought-after therapist, what does that tell you? Well, there's a couple things to say about that. First and foremost, <clears throat> I think, uh, going back to what you said, the, the history is like a typical low-back pain patient. I mean, the, of the, you know, 80% of people that would come in for low-back pain, you describe, like, whatever, 60% of them. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just using numbers. Mm-hmm. Which is... <clears throat> You know, they throw their back out on a very simple task, mm-hmm. one that they would do every day, probably multiple times a day, until one day it causes a problem. Getting back to what we were talking about before, if I'm a therapist that doesn't really look at the spine as being all that important in, in trying to hash out information about what is happening segmentally and region by region, and then what happens globally in the spine, then I can say, well, realistically, I'm just going to try to run through the natural history of this, prescribe some general exercise and some core strength, and therein lies the problem why that person has multiple episodes of low back pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> the second part of, of what you said is that at least what we're trying to establish before we get into some more details is that there should be a more specific assessment mm-hmm. of the spine. And so when you uh, then push on a spine and you go segment by segment, and we'll, we, we can maybe talk a little bit about that, uh, where you're finding the spinous process and you're pushing down in a, in a P to A fashion, and you find that there's a different feeling to those, or you create, I mean, you, you, the jump sign is the throwing the back out. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's what you're recreating. Um, and then you go on to that segment where you get that jump sign and you go in between and you, you palpate the, seg- the, uh, the ligament and it's tender. I mean, those, sh- those are signs of underlying movement dysfunction, mm-hmm. right? And for us, maybe we can get into the definitions, that for us is a segment that is not playing by the rules of how a segment should play, which mm-hmm. is, you know, have... Uh, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to use hashtags here, but normal amount of stiffness, uh, a normal amount of uh, muscle capacity to allow for intersegmental motion and control of it. A, a spine like that is one where biologically there's not enough restraining mechanisms segmentally at that segment, and therefore certain things are becoming overloaded, capacity starts to go down, and now you have a segment that moves around a little bit too much moves around a little bit too much is the versus okay now so i guess what i was getting at is the fact that my words mean something to you and translate into an approach that changes like that's that's the that's what we're we're getting at in in the course is that these questions are answerable questions and the um the answer to the question must lead you down a path of training and treatment that changes or that corrects whatever capacities we think we're lacking. And you said at that particular segment, because that's not to say that two segments up or two segments down or one segment up or one segment down, you have the same finding. Totally. Right? It, it doesn't mean that. So that means that, you know, theoretically, if you have that segment, which we're going to call, uh, it's a hard word to, to define. Uh, saying hypermobile sucks because... Unstable, hypermobile, these are like radiologically defined terms as well. So you don't want to 
step on the toes of those definitions. Yeah. But sloppy is a. Or- I think one. I think one that exceeds its normal motion capacities is kind of what we're getting at. Okay. One, one that. One that is. I mean, sloppy is is a great way to put it. Although it. I mean, it's sort of not definable in this. One that. Um, yeah, moves too much. Uh, one that does all the work mm-hmm. for for the region, perhaps. One that uh, <clears throat> loose comes to mind, but that's really not a good term either. Uh, I, I know what you're I know what you're getting at with the hypermobile because it isn't it isn't necessarily a a, a, def, a term that can be defined for us, but one that relative to its peers above and below has more motion to it that is uncontrolled motion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Therefore, you know, getting back to the, to the brain concept, therefore the, the brain is, that segment is not being represented well mm-hmm. and therefore becomes uncontrolled. Plus now there is a pathology that occurred. I, I, uh, this is another thing about the spine which, which I think that people don't give enough credence to is that now that you had that injury, there is pathological tissue located at the area of that injury. Sure, definitely. In, in both red and white. Okay. And by red, he means muscular. We, we, we kind of draw a fake line in between connective tissue versus muscle. Of course, it's blending, but red versus white. But that's, that's another thing that is not taken into account. It is taken into account in the shoulder because you told me you have a supraspinatus tear. But in the spine... It's almost as if the assumption is there is a, a pain signal that has been triggered and that in four to six weeks, the, the signal for pain will no longer be sent anymore and everything's fine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But that's also not the case. And now when you say, just get strong, bro, just strengthen the core. Well, there's a problem because if I told you you have a supraspinatus rip, Tear, right? The answer is not just make that shoulder stronger. Go back in the gym and start pressing. You would tell me, well, no, there's specific capacities that now the supraspinatus could take this much force. Now it could take this much force. So we have to come on with this much force in order to bump up that capacity over time, such da, 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 da. But it's almost as if the pathology that occurs because there was a spinal segmental buckle, that's just going to be fine. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine. Not only is it going to be fine, but it's going to be fine, and the body's going to heal it in a way that will reestablish normal afferents. All the, all the things just become good again. Everything's fine again, right? Mm-hmm. It's just like the, when, you, when you injure yourself, there's anatomical consequences to the injury. No matter what the injury is, there's anatomical consequences. If it's a very mild injury, sure, things will heal. But to say that it's just going to heal properly and... But, we're, but even those need to be guided. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt. Most injuries, they'll, you know, they'll heal. But I remember one Yahoo, he was telling... Like, I was reading the thing, and it was almost like he was suggesting that because evolution has gone so far forward that, you know, the body knows how to take care of itself. When it gets injured, it, it just knows how to take care of itself. Mm. The holistic approach. But that's not, that's not what the evolutionary system is. Evolutionary biology was not looking for better ways to manage its injuries. Arguably, if you got injured as a species, as an animal, the chances of you dying 
as a result of being lame Pretty means high. that you are taken out of the natural selective process a lot faster. Totally. So in other words, there's no hardcore selective pressure for a system. To, there's some, but to, to recover from injury perfectly. If anything, the evolutionary story is that the system learned how to patch it up as fast as it possibly could such that you are not presenting as lame such that you're not going to be eaten by that fucking cougar or whatever it is. And to, to add on to that, the evidence on senescence would tell us that the more times that that happens, that gets skewed earlier in life, which means later in life you have less longevity in all your biological stuff. Your last article had a bunch of that. Do you, is there more to go on with that? Because I'm sure you can give us a nice... Uh, no, I think, I think, you know, just... Explain senescence for people who don't know and where we're coming from in this topic here. Uh, so, to add on to what you said, and this, this, is, this is biological specific, so this isn't necessarily just in the spine, this is everywhere, is that <clears throat> the whole tissue continuum and, the, and the, the maintenance of tissue has been selected for, mm-hmm. right? That, that, it, that there is some truth to the body will figure it out. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but the problem is, is that it also needs a whole lot more information to figure it out a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so the more insult, the, the senescence argument is one whereby the more insult you have to tissues. And when I say insult, this is, doesn't have to be injury. Um, the more the selective pressure is, or the, there's an increase in selective pressure to maximize the ability for those cells to regenerate and to heal themselves and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. And as I said, that still needs guidance. There still is guidance there. But if we're looking at it purely from an evolutionary perspective, that <clears throat> the more insult there is, the more pressure from a selection perspective there is to minimize that insult in some fashion. But that then skews the continuum towards uh, youth, youth and vigor in the tissues such that the later you get on in your chronological age, now you have less ability to do that. So technically, your, your, the natural selection chooses to have you know, robustness and, and resilience in your biological stuff earlier on in your life. And because of disevolution now, and we're stealing that term from Dan Lieberman, that happens a lot earlier mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. Such that now we're not protected on the back end, mm. <laughs> where where now we've we've skewed it so far because of of high amounts of stress in the world and all these other things we've skewed that earlier in life. Such that now, from a, a, a longevity perspective and the longevity of the the biological stuff that makes up you, you, you know you're left hung out to dry because you don't get that selective drive anymore. So now the tissue degrades a little bit quicker. We have less cellular uh, regeneration. We get more cellular attrition. Um, and, and that impacts both white and red tissue. How does stagnation play into this? So, of course, you have this, we just described this segmental buckle. We know the biological responses that will proceed from the literature. So if I asked you, for example, in that person left to its own accord, what happens to the multifidus in time after that low back pain? We know. like We, we know what it's going to be. We know how it's going to respond. We know that pain will be there and pain will cause 
the person to not want to move into that, that region. And then we add on posture advice, and then we add on the neutrality of spine advice, and then we add on the fact that, uh, we haven't brought this up, but as a, as, a, as a consumer relationship, which is unfortunately what healthcare is, I'm, I want you to feel nicer, right? The, the, the desire for then me, I did my job better. Yeah, the desire for me to make you feel nice would actually point me in the exact opposite direction whereby I would support concepts of maintain neutral, fucking walk around like this, don't, do, don't ski ever again. Sure. Right? And now you have this area of, of the spine where, you know, we say force of the language of cells, but you're purposefully, there's a bunch of factors there where we're telling you, don't, don't, don't move. Like, just don't move and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So what does that do for this concept of senescence? Like, what does stagnation do? Well, again, I mean, the argument could be made that, that earlier, okay, okay so let's take, let's take the, the concept of, of the typical case of low back pain, okay, where we're, we're just relying on the natural history. Mm -hmm. And as we said, you know, we can exhaust that natural history a few times. Uh, but then the problem becomes is that that low back pain continues to happen and continues to happen. I mean, I have, you know, in our practice here, unfortunately, we get, we get the people who are, like, at their wit's end. Mm -hmm. We don't often see people who are like, yeah, you're my first therapist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see people who are like, I've been everywhere else and nobody could help me because I just got the same shit everywhere. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so the argument from a senescence perspective is, is that, um, first of all, Again, from a, a selective pressure perspective, there's always going to be trade-offs. And so I, I, I should have mentioned this the first time, but the trade-off is, is that we want to maintain that youthful vigor because that gives us more time in our quote-unquote reproductive years. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but that comes at a cost, and the back-end cost is that chronologically over time we biologically break down, right? And so <clears throat> applying this to a low back pain case that is, you know, managed in the, the very stereotypical way of, well, let's just do some exercise and let's just, you know, do some stuff and hopefully within four to six weeks it goes away. Internally, from a, from a biological perspective of that client, they are going through that process. Their body is saying, shit, man, I need to, I need to get out of this. There's some tissue insult here. I need to uh, lay down more stuff. Um, and so the selective pressure to try to maintain that youthful vigor in the spine is really, really high. Understandably, that is going to come with a back-end cost. They don't know it yet, mm -hmm. nor does the therapist, but that back-end cost is atrophy, white stuff that is supremely disorganized and non-stiff. We can get into that. <clears throat> and so on the front end, the management of that low back is, well, you know, whoever's managing is, I'm doing a great job. I'm mm -hmm. giving exercises. I'm getting strong. I'm doing all these things. The problem is, is that they're not accounting for that, that long cost mm -hmm. uh, in, in time. In addition, uh, the other factor is, is that we said that the, all these things, like, still need to be guided. So we have to understand that that cells have essentially a shelf life, mm -hmm. right? And, I mean, we talked about this in, in the ISM a little bit. <clears throat> cells have a shelf life. 
whereby they can only, they're only in their prime for a certain period of time. Mm -hmm. And when they're in their prime, they have to be told what to do. Because when we have, um, you know, like normal cells, like this is, a, this is the supraspinous ligament as an example. The, this is normal cells going in a certain direction. I have insult, I have insult, I have insult. What we want to try to do is we want to try to, when there's cellular accumulation there, which is part of that selective process, we need to guide that cellular accumulation. And if it's not guided appropriately, what happens is the cells move out of their prime. They divide divide and divide, but they're dividing now in haphazard ways. They're becoming directionless. They're not becoming part of the supraspinous ligament anymore. They're just becoming white stuff. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what happens is that continues to go on and go on and go on. And the less information there is, the more cellular accumulation you have. And then at the end of accumulation, you, you actually get cell death. Like cells just die and they go away. And now you have a structure that is biologically not the same, behaviorally not the same, and doesn't function like it's supposed to function, you know, down the road, mm -hmm. right? And so um, <clears throat> th that would be an example of what that would do to, to white stuff. From a, a, a red tissue perspective, getting to what you were saying, we have tons of evidence to support spinal atrophy, mm -hmm. segmentally and otherwise. Well, it's, it's kind of the same thing. If I, you know, it, it, on the front end of that, if, if I have repeated insults, you know, that exercise prescription might do an okay job while the, I'm still in my prime and all the red tissue cells now are in their prime and willing to, to, to be added and so on and so forth. But again, if I'm not specific in that maintenance, over time what happens is, and I'm not specific in my information to that region about how I want that region to function physiologically, um, from a, an endurance perspective or, or, or whatever the case might be, then on the back end, there's trade-offs to that, mm -hmm. whereby now it, it didn't get the information that it, that it wants, didn't get the information that it needs. So from a longer-term perspective, it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And so now you have senescence through the whole system. You have it in the white uh, where behaviorally it just can't function like it, it needs to function. You have it in the red where behaviorally it just can't generate the outputs of, of strength or strength endurance that, that you need. And now you have a system that becomes compromised for longer periods of time. And that's what senescence is. I have a, there's so much to come Keeping out. in mind what you just said, let's think about what is actually given to people that have spinal problems. Like let's talk about like a bird dog or a... Uh, a plank <laughs> and, and give me all of their programs for back pain and you're going to see you know you're going to see cat cows you're going to see bird dogs you're going to see planks <laughs> but if you notice when you're talking about bird dogs and planks what you're doing is you're 100% trying to avoid movement in the actual joint that has the injury they're anti-spinal right? movement. They're anti-spinal movement drills. Yeah. So again, what you're almost saying is, I want to speed up this compensation problem by giving you a shoulder and a hip that might work well and will allow for you to hinge through your hip so as not to disturb the spine. Sure. So it's almost like we're, I, I, I don't want to be a, a shit about this, but it's almost like everything that has been put forward 
has been put forward in, in the guise that if you have spinal problems, let's just try to make them not bother you as much in time so that we have a, a general decrease in the number of people who have recurrent amounts of back pain. But it has n no bearing on your back. Right? Mm -hmm. it, and now let's go backwards once again. And we go, talk about our evidence and how where our evidence breaks down and how you have to bring in first principles. The fact is, is that there are receptors that we call mechanoreceptors that provide information to your nervous system, which we called afferents. And these mechanoreceptors live in normal tissues that surround the spine. So if you think of... Uh, very dense. Very dense. So I was going to say, when we were in, um, when we were in Cadaver Lab, we would always say the, the closer you dissect to the spine, the more everything becomes white. It's oh. almost like you're... By the time you get to the spine, it's really ossified in this white connective it's tissue. In a, it's in like a, a cocoon of white. Yeah, right? But... That stuff is, in, in the perfect scenario, all of those receptors are feeding back information such that when you go to move, we can go into the idea that your decision to move happens well after your body is actually going to tell you to move and your conscious ability to say, I'm going to move, is far later than your body's decision to move. So that means that there is, that the body needs preemptive information of, as to the status of that system in order to say, okay, now if you want to move away from where it is, we have to know where you were, where you're going, and we need a plan to try to get there. And yeah. all of that information is based on afferents. Feedback. Feedback. So if you're telling me that the feedback mechanism is damaged due to injury, and we're arguing that there's always a long-term consequence to an anatomical injury, whether you can see it or not, the fact that there's less information being transmitted back and forth means that that system does not work as well as it used to, right? Great. And in every other joint in the body, we perfectly understand this and we work to make it better, except the spine. Except the spine. Except the spine. The spine is, is, is to its own accord. Now, I, I, before, I don't know how much time we have, but I do want to bring in some of these concepts. So I think what we've been maybe getting at is... What I just described is, is what we can consider to be optimal, like a shoulder that's optimal. If you give me uh, two baseball pitchers, same size, uh, you know, male baseball pitchers or female, whatever, all of the variables are, are perfectly even. And, and, and that person can pitch 85 miles an hour and I need a 90 mile an hour fastball. Mm -hmm. And I say, Mike, you have the choice to, and, and if you get them to 90, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. You have the choice to choose client A or client B. Client A has sustained a history of rotator cuff damage, right? They tore their supraspinatus. They had a little labral tear that was corrected surgically, blah, 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 blah. The guy on the right had no such damage and has never, the shoulder's great. The guy on the left, when you get him to move, you know, you, let's say you get them to do cars. You see that there's compensations. There's, you know, I can't get here. I get here. I move here. You see, on the guy on the right, you see this, this, this shoulder, which does exactly what a shoulder does. It, it can go up and go down. It has internal and has external rotation. If I asked you, who are you going to deal with? Which client are you going to ask for? I'm taking the guy on the on the right. On the right, the guy that the guy because that's an easy bill right there. It's, right, because <laughs> you know that afferents. Is, is the result of normal tissue function. 
whereas abnormal tissue function leads to abnormal afferents, right? And, and that's the same thing in the spine. So if we said that when you injure your back, we know that the multifidus starts to, um, starts to atrophy. So if we know that that's going to happen, if we leave that to its own accord and we just make the person strong and we, we give them bird dogs and whatever, like I said, we're leaving that system, no afferents, and we're asking it to just function normally, which you would never ask of that shoulder. That does not make any sense. So getting back to here, so what I was getting at is we can define optimal. It doesn't matter how stingy you want to be. There's no literature to define a normal shoulder. Well, that's a little bit, that's taking literature a little bit too literally. Clearly, we can all decide on which shoulder will function better just based on the I mean, first, first principles. You can watch shoulders and, yeah. I mean, define. <laughs> so that means that there's probably, there is, we're going to say probably, but there is an optimal for a spinal segment, right? There is yep. an optimal for a spinal segment. We just described the suboptimal idea that there is less ability to control fine motor movements, right? And, and buckling, supraspinatus, uh, supraspinous uh, ligament tenderness, P to A pressure, you know, pain, no pain, pain again. We're describing this suboptimal too much motion. And then there's this other side. The where, stiff side. Where is the stiff side, which is arguably even more common in our practice where you have the, you know, 45-year-old construction worker who doesn't exercise, diet is not good, you know, they, they, their hobby is Netflix. These people have not explored their spine. Right? Mm -hmm. So that would bring this, this idea of this, this person who is incredibly stiff, mm -hmm. right? And, and when you're incredibly stiff, there's, there's a whole list of capacities here that we're missing, which are going to be different than over there. Yeah. Over there, we would never have said, you know what we need? We need to increase the amount of workspace that that segment has. Because arguably, that segment has uncontrolled workspace. It's more important to get that workspace controlled. Whereas over here, we would automatically be adding things like specific pails and rails in, in our world in order to try to create the landscape in which motion can occur. So I think, I think just to, to make it clear for those that are listening, like, so we've qualified these things. So, so this is kind of what we're calling our spinal, uh, segmental continuum or a segmental spine continuum. And so there's certain qualities that optimal should have, and then there's deviations from what optimal is. Mm -hmm. So optimal has to have normal or adequate segmental motion, segment by segment, region by region, uh, and should display normal neurological control of that segment. And you know we're not going to hash that out per se. But there's going to be ways that we're going to provide that help us define what that means, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> Therefore, we can say in optimal, and this is really important because you've, ha you've harped on it a couple times, that we can say that optimal has full afferent. Therefore, mm -hmm. it is being consciously, unconsciously monitored by the central nervous system. Which is what people think core is, by the way. I think when people use the word core... Yes. Do you... Do, 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 don't you find it funny that when we have low back pain, we always just train the front of the spine? Like people do core exercises, but it's all for the front of the spine. Nobody ever does anything for the back. Yeah, it's true, because <laughs> the back is not part of your core. 
But the back is your spot. Yeah, yeah. So that is strange, actually. Like, what, what, where is the, where is the exercise to fatigue out the L five, L four, L five erector on the right? It doesn't exist. And then if I were to say another thing doesn't exist. If I were to say to you, you know, I want, I want to make bigger biceps in this client. We would have arguments in the ISM. We talk about how well you want to take the biological tissue to failure in order that the system grants energy in order to build more tissue, such at the back end you have more tissue to generate more force to compensate for that, that blah, 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 blah. But so, so it's interesting yeah, where that, that... Where is that in the spine? So it's inter- 100%. So it's interesting that like going back into the, old, the, the, the older literature that you know, we're, we were really well-versed in when we were in chiro school because we had lots of discussions on it, and we've subsequently discussed, but now we're, we're diving into again... That the Australian group, mm-hmm. the Queensland which got group, shat on tremendously. Yes, was the only thing that addressed the back part of the spine. I mean, even <laughs> if they were wrong, they're the only people that cared about the back part. One hundred percent. They were the only people that actually went to the source. Yeah, yeah. Other than other than bird dogging, and then you got to explain to me how a hip exercise is specifically going to say. You know what? We need more red stuff in the L four L five segment on the right. Yeah. For sure. Let's take this hip exercise. And then you're not moving the spine. It's like saying if you have an elbow problem and I give you an exercise where you pick up a, a, a weight and move it around like this, that that's somehow going to make your elbow better. Yeah. That's exactly what bird dogging does. It, it, it has nothing to do with the actual spine itself. Nobody really cares about the spine itself. But I was going to say, this is the same problem. Herein lies a problem. The idea of core. It's what they mean when they say core, and then they just say you've got to have a stronger core because... It's easy to say. It's easy to say. It's easy to say. It's easy to believe, but it's 100% incorrect. How do you get a stronger core? You do three sets of of 12. Right. Like, what? What does that even mean? Can you imagine if you did three sets of 12 for your bicep with the same weight forever? Yes. Like, would you ever argue that you're going to get more bicep as a result of that? But yeah, and and therein lies the problem where it's not specific. So, So if we can define this, that means that we can define either end of the continuum. That's right. Yes. So it's the same qualities. They're just, they've changed. Those qualities have changed. So if we have a, a, a suboptimal segment that is moving too much, we'll just say that for now, then we have un, uh, inadequate movement distribution segmentally. We have poor control of that segment. That means the nervous system is not you know, aware of that segment. Therefore, it can't control it, which means that afferents is poor. On the other side, you're on that side, but uh, <clears throat> we can then say if we have optimal and we have this on the far right of the continuum, there's going to be something on the far left of the continuum, and it's going to be the opposite of this, and that is a segment that doesn't move. So therefore, we've called stiff. Again, these terms might change. Mm-hmm. Um, where there is inadequate segmental distribution in a segment within the region, and also, because now there's no movement, mm-hmm. there can't be afferents without movement. That's right. So therefore, there's poor afferents. Um, and clinically, I think we've also defined these. And again, this is, this is just very cursory. But over here, uh, on a segment that moves too much, you're going to have uh, a lot of those jump sign type things, supraspinous ligament tenderness. And then you're going to have a lot more peripheral distribution of discomfort so it's not going to necessarily like these are the ones that if you push on that segment they start to feel it down the leg Mm -hmm. or you know Mm -hmm. and again that's all mapped out Mm -hmm. uh in the research Mm -hmm. where those peripheral distributions are 
And then over on the other side in the stiff, clinically, um, probably a little bit more local in terms of mm -hmm. the clinical presentation. The stiffness, the tightness, the feeling of... For sure. It's going to be hovered around that segment a little bit more. Now, just doing that, because we're not going to go the flip side of this, we have all of what do you do, but just doing this is, 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 an, is a way to look at the spine, which to this point, maybe some practitioners have brought it to this level, but to this point, there's no system in place that I know of that has broken down the spine in this way. No. Now, if I give you these findings to one of our practitioners who has been through our stuff, if I, you know, if I say, you know, this is one of the findings, this decreased amount of afferents or this movement distribution or on this side that we have a lack of workspace, these words prompt action. And the action is you've defined a capacity that's lacking. We've defined how the literature attacks a lack of capacity in order to improve the capacity. Ergo, now we just have to direct the focus of our inputs into the spine, which is, again, has not been done. So, of course, the course will purse out, how do you treat the spine more like a shoulder? How do you break down these findings? How do you determine, you know, in this case, we have optimal, 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 stiff, hypermobile, stiff, optimal, which is a very common oh, pattern to see cool. in the lumbar spine. Uh, or if we have a hip that doesn't move, we might have uh, an SI that is hypermobile. Again, hypermobile is just the... Yep, yep. I don't want to argue with that word. but And then that might make the joint above and below become stiff to try to compensate. But these are definable qualities, and not even with new literature. These are definable qualities with the information that we have, right? Yep. Um, so again, it's a matter of taking first principle concepts and then specifically applying them to this problem, which is a problem born out of biological tissue. It, it's biology and the pathology of that biology, which leads to aberrant neurological function, which leads to this ongoing problem. So if we can define the biological problem and we can define how to reverse the biological problem, and we know that the nervous system has this way of correcting for itself if the right amount of information is given to it, which is from the biology, mm -hmm. now you have a very specific system of spinal assessment, uh, diagnosis, treatment, management, which doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like the, the, what we've had up to this point. Like, and, and we can go further and say that up to this point, this idea of biology versus neurology was not a thing. So the neurology was like, remember the, the days where, oh, your glute is inhibited, mm -hmm. right? Still hear it. It's still there. Your psoas is weak or your glute is, you know. I saw it on Twitter, which is now X. I saw it the other day. Oh, yeah. The which, best exercise to uninhibit your glute. Which is such a crazy statement. And, and you can go into our history and we've talked about why it's a crazy statement at nauseum. But it's it's it's... A statement which screams, I don't actually know the, the um, science. I haven't read a physiology I, book I in a while. In a while, right? Like, I, for the people watching, and this is way off topic, but where are we now? There is, there is I, I would say that up to this point, for example, we've, we've studied nerve cells. You know, you have the nerve cell, you have all of this stuff coming out, you have the dendrites, right? You have that 
that synaptic cleft with another nerve, right? And then that goes and then and it continues. So up to this point, we've only been privy to discussions about point-to-point interaction. Then we have stuff like, um, what's that guy we were talking about? Oh, Seth Grant. Seth Grant's work, where he goes, okay, well, hold on. It's not just this nerve has a signal to send. There's a depolarization which spreads to the next nerve, and then it depolarizes. No. In the release of chemicals at this point, there can be hundreds of different chemical combinations released Mm -hmm. such that the responding nerve doesn't just take it and say, okay, you want me to depolarize? Fine. No. It, 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 It can send a very specific signal such that Seth Grant would say that there is a degree of logic that occurs in the synaptic cleft, which we're just learning about now. Mm-hmm. But there's even more to it. Some papers, funny enough, about cephalopod intelligence um, and octopuses and, and how their nervous system, how they have these, these grand-scale nervous systems, but most of the nervous system is dedicated towards the movement of the, com- the complex movement of the limbs, and it might not be towards cognition. But anyway, a point there was brought up about the idea that these point-to-point interactions, discharge or not, that is one form of neurological communication. However, at any given point, if you're looking at the nerve, there is small amounts of ions that continuously fluctuate across the membrane, mm-hmm. right? Which nobody ever talks about, right? But if you take now an XY coordinate and you map the range of those fluctuations, so in time, if we give X to be time, this depolarization moves in time, right? Such that you get, uh, you get something like this with regards to the range. Now, if something happens at this point, which is closer to the threshold, that's going to cause that depolarization to occur quicker. Versus if it happened here, you're in a state where you're not close to the threshold, so the depolarization might not occur. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that there's a lot of extrinsic factors that might be influencing the nervous system. You can talk about fields and magnetic poles. And this is a whole bunch of stuff that a lot of people took too far and energies flowing throughout the body. <laughs> I, I don't, if you're talking about scientific work, you have point-to-point interactions. You have point-to-point interactions which in and of themselves have logistical complexity. And then you have a fluctuation across the membrane where this particular cell may be more or less excitable depending on the, the sun, yeah. the, the nutrition, your mm-hmm. hydration. Mm-hmm. Your, what am I saying here? I'm saying that this nervous system is way more fucking complicated than, than, we think it is? than your glutes going to come on and off. Yeah. Yeah. And the only thing that we know about it is that this nervous system is dedicated to the, is dedicated to the, the, the utilization of the biology, which is what gives it the information that it has to go by. Again, neurology, biology. You can't just strengthen your core. You can't just turn on your glute. You can't just let the evolution heal the back such that it gets back to normal and the nervous system just goes back on to normal point-by-point information. It's just, it's just, it's a lot more complicated than that, I think, is the point. Definitely. And just, just getting back to this, I think, I think one of the things that hopefully should be apparent for those that are watching and listening is that if, if we had the ability to define these regions segment by segment, and we were able to quantify these, 
uh, and qual or qualify segments based on the continuum and quantify the amount of motion that is occurring and the amount of feedback that is happening and so on and so forth, it would be easy to see how you can't just manage this as the spine. Mm. I think that's the, that's the major point is that if you were to take one point out of this is that up to now the spine has been one thing. Up to now research has treated the spine as one thing. Up to now our, how we deal with spinal problems is to condense it into one thing and then protect it at all costs. Um, so I think the point here is that in this course that we're developing in the literature review, we're finding that, well, we're not, we've been practicing this way the whole time, but we're trying to put it into a, a logical flow. We're finding that there are ways to um, look at the spine, to define it segmentally, to make decisions segmentally as to what it has or what it doesn't have. And then if you run that through the guides of the functional range systems and FRC and FR and what do in FRA and how do we assess these things, it fleshes out a very specific um, way to manage not low back pain, but spinal function on an ongoing basis. Agreed. Yep. Which is which is really what that that uh, that course is going to is going to flesh out in more detail. Do you want to give them the details of the course? What what expectations are what we're doing or did we do that already i think do we, we talk about the summit do we say that it's going to be at the summit oh okay, okay we okay. said that the the first one of the of this uh the first uh certification for the spine uh functional we'll range uh spine fall practitioner 2024 probably fall 2024 maybe the end of the the beginning of the summer right we don't know quite that yet uh but yeah it'll be interesting this is of course going to be um, fully referenced. We're going to have our, our literature review. We'll have um, our lectures on the, you know, we didn't even get into the, the ways that the, the evolutionary anatomy of the spine are exactly opposite of the evolutionary anatomy of all of the other synovial type joints in the body and how that plays in um, the rules of the spine being different. It's, it's, if for sure, there's enough to talk about just for the spine that, that, that lends itself to its own course. So, I guess that was a good uh, that was a, a good introduction to what we're doing and what we've been working on um, with this and a whole bu a bunch of other whiteboards. But uh, yeah, anything else so, to add? No, 